It was a dark night in mid-October in Dallas, Texas. Three amazingly beautiful, hilarious siblings, Deshay, Sage, and Storm, walk into a bar. From behind the light of a single candle, as the drinks begin to flow, so do the stories. And as per usual, they turn dark very quickly. Hello. Ah. Hey. Welcome to episode three. Episode three. Oh my gosh. Can you believe it? I feel like we've been doing this forever. I know, we're pros now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we know how to press record. <laughs> and sometimes how to download the files. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't. Every single time it's such a chore. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> We're going to edit that out and be yelling at my kids. <laughs> it's my adult kid, so it's okay. It's like those TikToks. Stay toxic. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. So, introductions. I'm Deshay. I'm the oldest. I'm Storm. I'm the youngest. I'm Sage, and I'm the middle one. Yay! And we are three siblings walked into a bar. (laughs) So, Storm, I have to tell you, I'm still cracking up over um, Shadow People. Was it Shadow Shadow People? Shadow People! (laughs) I was like, we have to name that episode introducing our shadow souls yes that's exactly what i was thinking like we have to use that as part of the name it's too funny oh Oh, i was dying so i have to tell you guys about these really weird coincidences that have happened to me today was it today yes so i mean this particular one wasn't today but i was listening to a podcast and one of them called the other one Emothy instead of mm-hmm. M. She called her Emothy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's so weird. One of the girls I used to work with used to call me Stormothy. And I didn't, I mean, I haven't talked to her in a while. And then immediately when I was thinking that, she texted me. And I was like, whoa. I was like, that Stop. is so weird. And then today I was driving, I had to leave work early because Stinky was sick. So I had to go pick him up from school. And I was driving behind this car and the license plate, you know, like where the state goes. It Mm -hmm. said Chihuahua, like, and I'm like, that is so weird. I'm like, you know what? I think that's like a state or city or something in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I wonder if it is. I'm like, and if it is, what are they doing all the way here? Right. Whatever. So I was just thinking about it. And literally the podcast I was listening to driving, part of their story happened in Chihuahua, Mexico. (laughs) I was like, that is so weird. (laughs) So weird. Mm-mm. They are. Uh, what did you say? I remember Storm when we first started this. You're like, you're going to have to tell your FBI agent, whoever's listening to you, that you're in a podcast and you're not like <laughs> <Yeah>. a murderer. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We're looking at our like search history. <laughs> Just every once in a while, whisper into your computer, I'm not a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to talk about this later for everybody to hear. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Especially what I've been looking up the past couple days. Oh, yeah. Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. 
been crazy. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Pause.com. Pause.com. <laughs> I was listening to the podcast. Um, and one of them, they were like, wait. Because she was like, I have to go get my dog because the dog was scratching at the door. Yeah. And then the other one goes, can we please pause for like 30 seconds? Because I like really have to pee. <laughs> <She> goes, oh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Storm was talking about walking into a bar and I don't I don't know why I haven't had a beer this entire time we've been recording this. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, me either. Richard's um, boss went to Oklahoma a little bit ago mm. and brought him home because we couldn't, we haven't been able to find them. It's the Mountain Dew Seltzer's. What? Mm-mm, I've never yeah. seen that. Yeah, they're so they good? good. They have like mm. the regular Mountain Dew flavor. They've got the Baja Blast. There's like a watermelon. I have another flavor like too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not like gross because I was like, Ugh. I was like, that's because I don't really like Mountain Dew, and so I was like, oh, I'm not gonna like it. But it's actually pretty good, and it's only 100 calories, which is what like a true really? is. Because mm-hmm. I was like, that's gonna be like 400 calories and like six Mountain Dew grams of sugar. Yeah. yeah. And it yeah. wasn't. Huh. Like maybe the alcohol kills the sugar. I don't know. <laughs> Is it alcohol sugar? Science. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, so I guess it's my turn this week. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Let's hear it. Well, I really don't have anything. <laughs> okay. <Did> Bye, you- <laughs> guys. Okay, that, that was, was it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I have like five pages of notes and another computer sitting up here. So let's get into it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Did you get good grades in school or? <laughs> um, kind of. No, the, the, the time that I got kinda. the best grades in school was when I was pregnant with Eli, my senior year. Oh. Like I... Because you didn't have a didn't have anything life. else to do. Yeah. Yeah. I got the best grades. I don't remember what I graduated with, but I mean, I even got to like miss out on some exams because they were like, "No, nah, bitch, you're good. You made like a, an A in this class. You're good." <laughs> you're oh, growing a nice. human. Yeah, that yeah. made me so tired. Oh my god! Yeah, it was a lot easier with when Eli though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I was pregnant with Madeline this last time. I would answer the phone. Like I was calling people from work and I would go, thank you for calling blah, 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 blah. How can I help you? And then they would sit there and be like, um, you called me. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. (laughs) I am, I am very pregnant. And they'd be like, it's okay. That's so funny that you say that because I did, I almost did that today and I'm not pregnant. I was. I was calling one of my uh, one of my nurses, and I almost said, "Hey, how can I help you?" I was like, "No, wait, I called wait. you. <laughs> Let me help you. Let me tell you how I'm going to help you. Help me help you." <laughs> All right, so we are going to talk about the Night Stalker. Ooh. Have you heard? Oh, who's that? all right so aka richard ramirez okay Mm -hmm. so first i'm gonna just give you a little backstory and then we're just gonna jump right into all the killing 
<gasps> my favorite part. Yes. All right. So, Ricardo Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. Night Stalker, which, of course, that doesn't come till later, was born in El Paso, Texas, February 29th, 1960. And he... It's hard to remember, though. I, that's what I was thinking. Very close. Not the year, though. No. <laughs> He's the youngest of five children. His father was like a raging alcoholic and would have like, you know, these episodes where he would just like go crazy and have fits of rage and he would physically abuse his wife and all the kids. So, obviously, his home life was shit. That's usually how most of these start out anyways, I think. Yeah, unfortunately. So he's Richard started smoking. This is funny. I was I, I wrote MJ. <laughs> Mary Jane. Which yeah, with marijuana. <laughs> he started smoking marijuana. <laughs> the ganja. And drinking alcohol at the age of ten. And oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. By the age of twelve he began hanging out with his older cousin, um, Mike or Miguel Ramirez, AKA Mike, who was, he was a decorated green beret combat veteran in the Vietnam war. And during his time in the Vietnam war, he was a silly serial killer and a rapist. So cousin was? yes, this is his older Damn. cousin. Yeah. He would, he bragged about it to Richard. He showed him Polaroids that he had of Vietnamese women who he had. Oh, trigger warning. (laughs) We're going to talk about rape and there's kids, molestation, all of that. So just should have said that before, but major trigger warning here. So he would show Richard and we're, again, Richard's like 12 at this point. He would show him Polaroids of these Vietnamese women who he had raped, murdered, disemboweled, wait, dismembered, <laughs> edit that, <laughs> and decapitated. And so basically, he later, Richard later stated that, that it wasn't like scary to him. Like he was very interested in it. He thought it was cool. Oh, seeing all like that's the feeling he had. Yeah. He was fascinated by them. Up, yeah, because someone he looks up to is like, "Hey, look at this really cool thing." He's not going to like yeah. That's Yeah. Wow. But again, he's 12 and he's seeing these pictures of you know, women with no heads and all these things and oh he's gosh. telling him all these stories of how he raped them and did all that. And he's in the military when he's doing this. Yeah. He's in the Vietnam War like crazy so mike he learned a lot from his older cousin he taught him a lot of his military skills like how to kill quickly how to kill how to not be how to stay hidden in the dark i did not know any of this Mm -mm. yeah yeah um and this is a random fact that i saw but he so richard tried to get away from his like from his family and his father basically mm-hmm. by sometimes sleeping in the local cemetery that's serial killer status if i'd ever yeah heard something 
All right, so now we're in May of 1973, and at the age of 13, this is, this is so fucked up. Richard was present when Mike, the cousin again, shot and killed his wife, Jessie. He shot her in the face with a handgun during a, you know, a domestic dispute. He later, Richard later stated again that like the Polaroids and the stories that he had heard that he was fascinated by watching that. Hmm. That was his word, fascinated. Yeah, and he was 13 when that happened, 13. So after that, he becomes really distant from his family and his friends. And so Mike was later found not guilty of his wife's murder by reason of insanity. And they said it was attributed to his post-traumatic stress from his time in Vietnam. So he was committed for only four years at the Texas State Mental Hospital. Four years? Four fucking years. Four years. Wow. I'm like, that's not even long enough just to treat PTSD. Right. Is that normal? I mean, that this was in the seventies. Like okay. This is in the, you know, like mid seventies. Yeah. So I, I, who's to say what normal was then or not? I don't know. I mean, obviously now, like, well, I think it's, I think it's just very dependent on if a doctor says, oh, okay, you're, you're mm-hmm. okay now. Mm-hmm. But to just say like, not guilty, like, and yeah, yeah, just, just go to this mental hospital for a couple years and you're good. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know if they knew that Richard was present at the time. I don't, that that's not in any information that I was able to find. Um, if they, yeah, if they knew that he was present. Yeah. So shortly after the shooting, Richard moved in with his older sister, Ruth and her husband, Roberto. <laughs> Who was a peeping Tom? Oh my gosh! <laughs> After I read so that, I was like, "This this whole family just God, I can't." These poor people. Party is just like give the kid a hug. Yes, something. So he started taking Richard with him on his peeping excursions. Yeah. So by the time he then by the time he turned fourteen in nineteen seventy four. He began using LSD frequently, like a lot. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward a couple of years. So this whole time he's still living with his older sister and her husband still doing all the, you know, peeping stuff with his mm-hmm. brother-in-law. So in 1977, Mike was released from the mental hospital and he started going with Richard and Roberto when they would go and look at women through their windows. And I'm just, I'm... I, I'm trying not to be gross about it, but I'm trying to imagine three men and they're out there. Like, are they just standing there watching? Like, what are they doing? Like, why yeah, do you really so go weird. peeping at these people? Like, like, <laughs> What's like, really this going is, on here? What are you really doing when you're standing there watching well, I'm like, them? And did the sister know what they and were that's doing? what I see. Yeah. It's like, but again, we don't like, obviously things were a lot different back then in the seventies. So it's like, you yeah. know, I don't, I don't know. Who knows? She could have been crazy, too. Um, And then, so, yeah, so they were all using LSD. And around this time, he started to get a big interest in um, Satanism and the occult. Um, Like, a big, big interest. So. At the time, it was, like, really, really popular anyway. Yeah. 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 
So then when he reached adolescence, he started having sexual fantasies and they would include um, BDSM, basically, like violence, but heavy, heavy violence during that, like murder, mutilation, rape, all of that. He was fantasizing about it at this point. So he took he took a job at a local Holiday Inn. This is really all this is really fucked up, but this is about to get really fucked up. Just so you know. Um, <laughs> Thanks for warning us. <laughs> yeah. And he used his, they called it a pass key, but you know, like, so like a skeleton key that like the hotel people have mm-hmm. to, um, to rob the guests when they were sleeping. And oh. on at least, oh, okay. On at least one occasion, he molested two children in an elevator at the hotel Uh, He was never reported or prosecuted after that. He was fired um, after he attempted to rape a woman in her hotel room, but he um, was caught by her husband, thankfully. Um, The husband basically beat the shit out of him, but they never brought uh, criminal charges. They dropped them because they didn't want to come back to Texas because they were out of towners, obviously. They didn't want to come back to Texas and face him and do all that shit. So they dropped the charges. Okay, so after the incidents in the elevator, they mm-hmm. kept like he kept his job, and then mm-hmm. went on to almost. And they said it was never reported, so I don't know how much who knew how. You know what I mean? Like I don't know yeah. if it was like a big thing. I I didn't. I, I'm not sure, but that's fucked. Basically, he got he was able to get away with that. Mm-mm. All right. So in so he's fired from the hotel and in 1982 at the age of 22 he moves to California. And this time he's going back and forth between San Francisco and Los Angeles County. And this is where he started using cocaine and cocaine became his drug of choice. And he would Commit burglary, burglaries. That's a hard word. <laughs> it is. <laughs> to basically to support his habit. Um, and to pay his rent. So he's As just you a do. professional, like, cat burglar at that point. Yeah. Basically, yeah. But he's yeah. stealth about it because he learned all that mm. from his cousin Mike is how to be right. sneaky and, you know. Thanks, cousin Mike. Yeah, yeah. So he had an apartment in San Francisco. Okay. Again, this is a really bad part. This is one of the worst ones, I think. But, um, I mean, they're all horrible, but this was really bad. He had an apartment in San Francisco. And this was his first, um, I think, the first murder, they think, that he did. So he was 22 at this time. San Francisco, April 10th, 1984. I'm going to butcher this name. May Lung, she was nine years old. <sighs> she was with her brother, her eight-year-old brother, and they were looking for a lost $1 bill. And Richard approached her and told her to follow him to the basement and that it was probably in the basement, the $1 bill that she was looking for. He then beat, strangled, and raped her before stabbing her to death with a switchblade. And he hung her partially nude body from a pipe by her shirt. Jesus Christ. And this is all nine years old. Yes. In the basement of the apartment complex. 
<clears throat> yeah, she was nine. Her brother, I think he just told her to follow him to the basement. So I don't think he was obviously present when that happened, but because he was eight years old. But yeah, that was the first one. Horrible. I can't. Thanks, Uncle Mike. I know. I know. It, it, yeah. So then we're just getting into all these murders here, guys. Okay. So buckle up. So on June, <laughs> just, just get ready for, for just, just death. <laughs> just to start crying. It's okay. <laughs> that one almost got me. I was like, oh my God, I can't read this again. Mm -mm. I can't. Uh-uh. So on June 9th, 28th, 1984, um, 79-year-old Jenny Vincow was murdered in her apartment in Los Angeles. So he's still in Los Angeles at this time. Richard had stabbed her repeatedly in the head, neck, and chest while she was asleep in her bed. And her throat was slashed so bad that she was nearly decapitated. Oh, my gosh. He, this, he was all, so he's called the night stalker, but he's always seemed to me and you'll hear too, like a little bit sloppy. So his fingerprint was found on a, the mesh screen when he, um, moved it to get in through the window. Mm. So that's his second known murder. So at this point he had established a pattern of breaking into homes and, burglarizing that was you know his main thing is to get yeah. that for his get the money and whatever he could find to sell for his cocaine and to pay his rent must be nice as yeah. again as you mm. do so then march 17th 1985 he attacked 22 year old maria hernandez outside her home in rosemead he shot her in the face with a 22 caliber handgun um, she survived because the bullet ricocheted what? off of the keys she had in her hands as she, <gasps> she lifted them to protect herself. Holy shit. Yeah. So she, um, she played dead until he, um, left her, Good for her. but inside the house, <clears throat> her roommate, Dale Okazaki, he heard the gunshot. So he ducks behind the counter then he, he ducked behind the counter when he saw Ramirez come into the house. So he, she, no, is it a he or a she? She, she raised her head and she went, went to get a look at him and he shot her in the forehead and killed her instantly. Jesus. So he shot the one girl outside. She played dead. She survived. She's still, she's still kicking. Goes inside. Roommate hides. She pops up. Why would you fucking, why? Yeah. Never. And no. shoots or kills her instantly. Mm. Yeah. So within an hour of that, he pulled 30-year-old, okay, Veronica, Veronica Yu, out of her car in Monterey Park. He shot her twice, again, with his twenty-two caliber handgun. That seemed to be his weapon of choice, well, a lot, that and switchblade. And then fled. And she was pronounced dead at the hospital. This is when the media started calling him. They called him the walk-in killer and the valley intruder. 
So he had those two names. He was like super opportunistic. It was, Mm -hmm. yeah. It was all Mm -hmm. about just like right time, right place. It didn't matter. Right. Yeah. Like he didn't, he didn't care less. If he could, thought he could get, you know, get you and get anything you had, he was going to go for it. Let's see. Okay. So on then on March 27th, 1985. So just 10 days after that, he went back to a home that he had burglarized a year earlier, still in California at about 2 a.m. And Vincent Charles Nazara, age 64, he killed him with a gunshot to the head. Um, His wife, Maxine, aged 44, she was obviously woke up by the gunshot. And so Richard beat her and he bound her hands while demanding to know where your valuables, all of that. Um, ransacked the room. She ended up escaping and she got a shotgun from under the bed, but it wasn't loaded. So this made him extremely angry. So he shot her three times and then got a large carving knife and he mutilated her body, stabbing her several times. Then he took it even further and he removed her eyes with the knife and placed them in a jewelry box, which he then took with him when he left um, and kept at his apartment as a souvenir. Oh, my gosh. So he got mad and was like, no, fuck this. I'm doing everything possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like he got mad that she had the audacity to pull a shotgun on him. (laughs) And if only it was loaded. If only. Uh, yeah, I know. Ugh. All right. Um, so then I just like to give, so I'm saying the dates and if that annoys you, let me know, but I like to just give a timeline here because mm-hmm. it wasn't, he didn't, it wasn't, it was a very short period of time that he did all of this. Yeah. So that was March, 1985. Now we're in May, 1985. And he again goes back to Monterey Park and he goes into the home of Bill Doy. And if I'm butchering these names, I am sorry. I apologize. You better be. Mm-hmm. And he was, 60, <laughs> he was 66 and his disabled wife, Lillian, was 56. He basically shocked him when he just kind of walks in his bedroom. Bill is awake at the time. So he sees him and he just, Richard just shot him in the face. Mm. And after beating him, he beat them. He he shoots him. Then he beats him into unconsciousness. So then I guess Lillian, his wife, who's disabled, she had her own bedroom He um, went in there. He bound her with handcuffs. uh, And remember, she's disabled. Then he raped her and basically ransacked the home for valuables. And um, Bill ended up dying of his injuries um, in the hospital. Told you, this guy's fucked up. So then maybe 15, 16 days later, he stole a car. And drove to Monrovia. And on the way, he stopped at a house of Mabel Bell, or Ma, as she was called, 83 years old. 
And her, he like completely switched his like like first it was kids and yeah. now it's elderly. Uh huh. Like I don't know if he's just doing that because they're easy. That's what I was that. thinking. Because he's looking for you know, they're yeah, not going to the fight easy, as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the easy target. Ma Bell was eighty three and she lived with her disabled sister, Florence Lang, who's eighty one, or Nettie was her was they what they called her. He got a hammer out of their kitchen. Mm. And he bludgeoned um, Nettie, the disabled sister. Then he did the same thing to Belle before he used an electric cord and shocked her. What? So he's just he's just doing random shit now. He's just like playing he's with just, it. It's like a cat playing yeah, with its toy. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, he raped the disabled one, Nettie. And he used um, he used their lipstick to draw the satanic pentagram on her thigh, as well as on the wall of both of the bedrooms. They were found two days later, alive but in <gasps> comas. Oh my god! And critically injured. And um, Bell, so Ma Bell, eighty three, she died of her injuries in the hospital. They. It doesn't give me an update on Nettie, the 81-year-old. She, I'm, I would assume maybe she did, but it didn't say both of them. It just said the one. So hopefully she did. But that's the thing, too. He was sloppy. He didn't kill everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it wasn't about killing people. It was about him mm-hmm. doing whatever the fuck he wanted. Right. It's like yeah. it's about the control and then the yeah. then comes in the Satanism and then comes, you know, he's just basically I saw a picture on Murderpedia. It was one of the detectives and he basically that he was in a room with like you know, you know those um tables in the school cafeteria, the really long mm-hmm. tables. Yeah. yeah, he was in a room full of maybe ten of those, and they were all just full of things that they collect that they found from his apartment that he had stolen from all of these people. Wow! Because he was just he was just collecting stuff, mm-hmm. and then also whatever he could use to get drugs. Yeah. Um. Okay. Here we are. So after that, the very next day, to be exact, because he couldn't get enough, apparently. He drove the same car that he had stolen to Burbank, California. He's still in California. And he sneaks into the home of Carol Kyle. She was 42. He bound her and her 11-year-old son with handcuffs. Um, Basically destroyed the house. You know, he's looking for valuables, all those things. He released Kyle and told him to tell him where the family's um, valuables were. And then, no, he, so he released the mom and told her to tell him where the valuables were. He then raped her repeatedly. He also repeatedly told her not to look at him. And he told her at one point that he would cut her eyes out if she did. So he left after retrieving Kyle, her 11 year old son from the closet. And he bound um, him with his mom with handcuffs after she had been raped multiple, multiple times. And he can hear the whole thing happening. So July 2nd, 1985, he stole yet another car 
and now he's in Arcadia and he just randomly picks a house. Um, 75 year old grandmother, Mary Louise Cannon, and he enters her home. She has no clue. She's asleep in her bedroom. He beats her into unconsciousness with a lamp and then stabs her to death using a 10 inch butcher knife from her kitchen. And he just repeatedly stabbed her even after she was already dead. Gosh. Pause.com. Do we know anything about like why, like how he got into these houses? That's the thing that like the night stalker, the, um, I think it was the, I thought I had it written down the LA times that started calling him that because most of this stuff happened at night. He gets in your house and you have no clue. Remember he yeah. learned all of this from his cousin, Mike, who had taught him all of his oh, yeah. tips and tricks on how to be stealth and quiet and everything from his time in Vietnam. So he kind of took that and ran with it. Well, also back then, like nobody locked their windows or their doors. Right. Or, and, and in California, they probably were all open. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is in summertime. So I'm sure people, like you said, they're leaving their windows open. It's, you know. Yeah. All right. July 5th, 1985. Richard broke into the home of Sierra Madre. Oh. And, um, Beat to death 16-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron as she was asleep in her bedroom. And after he was, um, so then he he does that. He beats her. And then after he he's searching for a knife in their kitchen, gets pissed off, strangles her with a telephone cord. Mm-mm. How long is he in these people's houses? I, I Not long. It's not like he goes in and hangs out. You know, like, it's That's like he. It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, he's, I don't like, I, they're all home when he comes in. Right. So like mm-hmm. he knows they're there and he's basically just looking for shit. And like, I don't, I wonder what he would do if he went into a home that nobody was there. Like. Right. Yeah. Would he, he wouldn't would know he, what to do and just leave. Like, yeah, like, I'm going to go next door and see who's Yeah. Because <laughs> obviously he needed to kill people. That's what it seems like. like. Right. All right, July 7th. So just a couple days later, he um, burglarized the home of Joyce Lucille Nelson, age 60, in Monterey Park. She was asleep on the living room couch when he came in. <sighs> he beat her to death. By stomping on her face repeatedly. This is where he gets real sloppy. A shoe print from an, I think you say, I think it's Avia or Avia sneaker Mm -hmm. was left on her face. (gasps) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, shoe print? Yeah, a whole ass shoe print (laughs) on her face. Yeah. So then he's into a couple other neighborhoods. He goes back to Monterey Park and he goes into the home of Sophie Dickman, who's 63. Again, these older people. Um, He assaulted her, handcuffed her, attempted to rape her. Um, He stole her jewelry and um, 
she told him, she basically swore to him that he had taken everything of value that she had. He told her to quote, swear on Satan. Hmm. July 20th, still 1985. He bought a machete and drove a stolen Toyota to Glendale, California. He then chooses the home of Layla Nelding, 66, and her husband, Maxson, age 68. He burst into their bedroom while they're sleeping, hacked them up with the machete. And then he shoots them in the head. This is less than a year. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the whole thing. I think it's like a year and a half, something like that. Like he's just, this is like an every couple night thing for him. He continued to uh, mutilate their bodies with the machete before he robbed them of all their valuables. Then after that, he drives to Sun Valley. So the same day at about 4.15 in the morning, he broke into the Kavananoff family's house and he shoots, (sighs) these names are hard, Chin. Chenarong Kavananoff in the head with a 25 caliber handgun killed him instantly. That's almost like, thank goodness, you know, like, yeah. especially with him. Then he repeatedly raped and beat some kid Kavananoff, the wife, and he tied up their eight year old son before dragging around some kid. So the mom dragging around the house to so she that that she would let him know where all the valuables were and he took everything and during the whole time when he's doing this he kept demanding to her that she swear to satan that she was not hiding anything from him so august 6th he drives to northridge broke into the home of chris and virginia peterson Again, in their bedroom, because it's at nighttime, you're sleeping as you do. Virginia's 27, so she's younger. He shoots her in the face with a 25 caliber handgun. Then he shot Chris, her husband, in the neck and then tried to flee. So Chris, he fought back while somehow avoiding being hit by two more shots that he got off and um, before Richard was able to escape and they survived. The Good. couple survived. Good. Yes. Totally How old awesome. were they again? They were in um, their late twenties. Okay. So then he was like, never again. Yeah. He's like, I'm not probably going to stay away from people who are like my own age. Cause they yeah. can kick my ass. Okay, so a couple, just two days later, he drove yet another stolen car to Diamond Bar, California, and he goes into the home of Sakina Abawath, who's 27. So again, a younger couple. I don't, I don't know what he's doing here. And her husband, Elias Abawath, who was 31. And he went into their house sometime around 2.30 a.m. and was in the master bedroom. He instantly killed the husband with a shot to the head. He then handcuffed Sakina while first forcing her to tell them again, the location of the jewelry and all their valuables and everything brutally raped her. 
He demanded again that she swear on Satan that she would not scream during the assault. So it sounds like he has his MO down now. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's got his process and this is what he's comfortable with. This really sucks. The couple's three-year-old son entered the bedroom. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Richard tied him up and then continued to rape his mother. Holy fuck. Um, after Richard left the home, um, Sakina untied her son and she sent him over to the neighbor's house for help. So she survived. And I he mean, didn't did he physically hurt the, Yeah. Raped her multiple times. Because I'm just like, But he didn't it, kill her. No, I'm not trying to victim blame at all, but I'm like, how could you send your three-year-old to the neighbor after that yeah. just happened to you? Yeah. I'm like, I unless mean, unless she was like physically yeah. could not get up and do like, it. Like could not move. Yeah. It's possible. <clears throat> but she was I able to. I would be terrified to... to let my three-year-old out of my sight after that. Yeah. But she was able to like untie him, but I guess maybe adrenaline or something, you know, yeah. I mean, you've seen your kid untie, like that's what you want to do is protect them. Yeah. But again, I get, I get what you're saying, but again, this is, you know the 80s. I mean, this is the year I was born, so. Everybody knew everybody, and everybody was outside all the time. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) All right, so Richard had been following the media coverage of all of his crimes. He then leaves Los Angeles and heads to San Francisco, because remember I told him he kind of went back and forth between the two places. So, on August 18th, 1985, he goes to Peter and Barbara Pan's house. He shot Peter, who was 66, in the temple with his 25 caliber handgun, killed him instantly. He again beat and sexually assaulted Barbara, who was 62, um, shot her in the head, and he basically just left her there for dead. Um, he used lipstick to draw a pentagram and the phrase, Jack the Knife. What does that mean? Is that does that sound familiar he to anyone? He thought he had a better name. That's what I was I thinking. He liked that. Yeah. Area. He he did that on the bedroom wall. He again leaves a shoe print at the scene, and the detectives were able to match that to a specific pair of those Avia shoes, and apparently they weren't really common at the time. So the lead detectives in his case were Frank Salerno and Gil Carrillo. So if you've ever watched the Netflix um, documentary Night Stock, The Hunt for a Serial Killer, these two are talked about a lot and they're in there. Okay, so they discover the make and um, figure out where they were distributed across the United States. And there ended up being only six, I'm talking about the shoes, by the way. Mm-hmm. Only six of these shoes in the size 11 and a half. And five of them were sent to Arizona and one was shipped to a shoe store in Los Angeles. What? Yes. So. All right. So it was discovered through ballistics and that it matched the pan. So the last house he was at the pan crime scene. Mm-hmm. So at this point. The mayor of San Francisco at the time, Diane Feinstein, 
she tells in a televised press conference about the uh, shoes and even the caliber of the gun. Oh my oh gosh, my what God. a freaking idiot. So needless <laughs> to say, the um, the detectives are fucking pissed. Yeah. They're livid. Why livid. did she do that? I, I don't know. It's like, I don't know if maybe like as the mayor, she wanted to give, she wanted to tell people, or maybe, I don't know. I wonder if it's like she wanted to give people hope, like, hey, we're close, blah, blah, blah. But right. the, the detectives know he's watching. <sighs> like he's keeping yeah. track of it. He's sloppy, but he's watching. Yeah. So, which this, so they were pissed off because they knew this gives him the chance to destroy the evidence, get rid of the gun, mm-hmm. destroy the shoes, all of it. Um. So, actually, what he did, he um watched he watched the um press conference that day. Dropped his 11 and a half Avia sneakers over the side of the Golden Gate Bridge that same night. Yeah. <sighs> so he then he hangs out in that area for a couple days. Then he goes back to Los Angeles. So August 24th, 1985, um, he goes 76 miles south of Los Angeles and he um, in an old orange Toyota that he stole. To Mission Vejo. And this night he goes to the home of James Romero Jr. And Romero's son, 13-year-old James Romero III, he was awake. Hmm. So his family was asleep and he was awake. So James went outside. He was getting something from his truck, but it was locked. And when he was outside, he heard something. Assuming it was an animal, he went to investigate, but didn't notice anything. So then he went into the garage and he was just working on his little mini bike that he had. And then he heard footsteps. He said, thinking that there was just a prowler, he saw Richard through his bedroom window and he went to wake up his parents and Richard fled the scene like he left. So James, the 13 year old, he raced outside He noted the color, make, and style of the car and partial license plate number. He contacted the police. And um, at this time, he thought that he had just chased away a thief. Little did he know. Brave kid, though. Yeah, right? Good for him. Yeah. So after that, Richard broke into the house of Bill Carnes, who was 30, and his fiance Inez Erickson, who's 29, he goes in through the back door. He they were sleeping at the time. He goes into their bedroom. Um, Bill Carnes wakes up when he hears him cock his gun. Um, he shot Bill three times in the head before he paid any attention to Inez. <laughs> he told her that he was the night stalker. And he forced her to swear that she loved Satan as he beat her with his fists. And he tied her up with neckties from the closet. Um, He stole what he could. He then, Richard drags Inez to another room where he rapes her. He demands cash and more, more jewelry and made her again swear on Satan that there was no more. And that she had given, that he had taken everything that they had. 
And before leaving their home, Richard told <clears throat> Inez, tell them the Night Stalker was here. She untied herself, went to a neighbor's house to get help for her fiance because he was um, severely injured at the time, obviously. And then he got to the hospital. The surgeons were able to move two of the three bullets from his head and he survived. Oh my gosh. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Yes. So now he's getting cocky. He's like, tell him it was the night soccer. Tell Mm -hmm. him it was me. (sighs) I wonder if he's like just playing into this like Satanism thing even more now that he knows that like the media is going after it or Mm -hmm. if this is like legitimately what he believes. Yeah. I don't know. Because he didn't seem to do it that much at the beginning. It wasn't until later that he. Yeah, it was. Also, it it wasn't until later that he was leaving people alive either. Right. Because it says that when he started doing the LSD is when he got into Satanism and all of that. So obviously he's, Uh, I don't know. You know, but that was kind of at the beginning. And then he doesn't really talk. He doesn't really bring up the Satanism much until he, after the first few killings. So I don't know. He's definitely playing a role. Like he's, he's got it down. All right, so Inez I wonder Erickson. if his family kind of guess who it is. If they're kind of like, I know it's him. I know it's yeah, him. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good, that's, I, I just wonder, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, I'm sure, I wonder if, like, his cousin Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. cousin oh, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> if he knows, like, if he's assuming or maybe he's talking to him at this time, who knows? You know, we don't yeah. know. So Inez Erickson. She gives a detailed description to um, to the detectives, and then they were a they have a cast of his footprint from the Romero house and um, the Toyota that he had stolen um, was found abandoned on August twenty eighth in Koreatown, Los Angeles, and they were able to obtain a single footprint from the rearview mirror. Despite Richard trying to be very careful now in wiping the car clean of footprints, mm. or I mean of prints, um, it was at this time it's positively identified as belonging to Richard. He was; they were describing him as a 25 year old drifter from Texas. He had a very long rap sheet uh, because he was arrested for traffic and illegal drug violations. They said that the. Print was described as a quote near miracle as the system they had used to identify him was just recently installed. So, you know, this is in the mid eighties, so they don't have all the high tech stuff that we do nowadays. But thank goodness they had this because they had sis, they had his fingerprints from um, criminals born after January 1st, 1960 in the system. And it was only, a, which was only a month before he was born. Oh. That seems to happen a lot in, in these stories, though. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this technology just happened to come out right before we needed it. Yeah. 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 So on August 29th, 1985, um, the police decided to release a mugshot of, of Richard from um, his arrest in 1984 for auto theft. They released it to the media. And so at this time they're, they're calling him, they're saying, this is the night stalker. This is him. This is what he looks like. 
And at the press conference, they said, quote, we know who you are now and everyone else will. There will be no place you can hide. August 30th, 1985, Richard took a bus to Tucson, Arizona, where he was going to go and visit his brother, but he was unaware that his brother was not home. Um, and that basically he was the lead story in every major newspaper and television, like everywhere they were, that's all they were talking about in California. So he returned to Los Angeles after he realized his brother wasn't home on the morning of August 31st, he walks past police officers who were actually stalking the bus terminal, looking for him. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, and he goes into a, a gas station in East Los Angeles. So a group of elderly Hispanic women, they like recognize him and start freaking out, basically calling him El Matador, which literally in Spanish means the killer. Um, Richard sees his face on the front page of the newspaper, uh, law opinion, with the headline saying Invasor Nocturno, Night Invader. And he basically just books it, runs. Um uh, like movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this part, this part, this part's fucking cool. This this part's cool. I mean, not cool, but you know, <clears throat> you'd be clapping if it was a movie. So right. after after he's running across the Santa Ana freeway, he attempts to carjack a Ford Mustang. But um, he was pulled out by an angry resident, Faustino Pinion. He then runs across the street, attempts to take car keys from Angelina de la Torre, and her husband, Manuel, um, witnessed it and he hit him over the head with a fence post. Wow, good job. Damn. So at this time, uh, a group of over 10 uh, residents nearby. They basically form this little mob. They chase him down the street. um, And they got to the 3700 block of Hubbard. And they're basically just beating the shit out of him. Like this Mm -hmm. whole mob of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it says that the crowd actually grew to more than several hundred people. And they were becoming (gasps) like crazy. You know, just basically just taking their turn on him. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So basically a citizen's arrest, right? Yeah. Because basically. obviously, obviously the police are, you know, called to the scene and they had to stop the people because they were about to kill him. Don't turn into him. Right. <laughs> so that's, so they get him. The people got him. Thank God. Thank goodness. Um, so then fast forward, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't I don't understand the timeline and all of this here, but the jury, the trial begins on July 22nd, 1988. Oh. Right. So well, I'm sure there was a lot of like evidence and shit to go through they had yeah, like Yeah. It took them a while to build up. Mm-hmm. And this, this was like the biggest, this was the biggest and most expensive trial next to the OJ Simpson trial. Ooh. It cost actually 1.8 million, which in, um, today's money is 3.4 million. Holy cow. 
to send someone that's to jail lot. that just, just killed yeah. such people. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. Uh huh. So at his first court appearance, he raises his hand and he's got a pentagram drawn on it, and he yells, "Hail Satan!" August third, nineteen eighty-eight. Um, the L.A. Times had reported that some of the jail employees had overheard him planning to try and shoot the prosecutor. Pros- oh my god. <laughs> the prosecutor, prosecutor. <laughs> with a gun that he had planned on smuggling into the courtroom. How? I don't know. Again, this is the 80s. Who knows? It's also, there was like, there was girls like lining up outside. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're obsessed with him. Um, so just a little quinky dink. They, uh, there was a metal detector installed before his next court appearance. Of course. Yeah. So I'm like, I would put nothing past him. Yeah. Like I am not walking in there until you make sure that he is, if he has to come in naked, I'm cool with it, but you will not be. And there's pictures of him and he's basically the whole time during the trial. He's like, he's laughing. He laughs. He's laughing and talking with his lawyers. When some of the victims that had survived were telling their testimonies, he was, they said he was just laughing and like, you know, could give two fucks, basically. On August 14th, the trial had halted because one of the jurors, Phyllis Singletary, she didn't come to court that day. Um, later that day, they found that she was shot to death in her apartment. And so the jury was wondering if Richard somehow directed it from jail. Like, did he get yeah. someone to do this? Whatever. Um but they later found out that she was shot and killed by her boyfriend, who also then committed suicide. Wow. <sighs> it was just a coincidence? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What the fuck? Yeah. On um, September 20th, 1989, um, Ramirez was convicted on all charges, 13 counts of murder, five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults and 14 burglaries. Um, During when um, the penalty phase, he was also on November 7, 1989, he was sentenced to death in the California gas chamber. He told reporters, quote, big deal. Death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. Wow. Isn't that fucking creepy? No. Not anything. Not at at all. Not at all. So during the time of the trial, yeah, like you were saying, he had a ton of fans and they were writing him letters, visiting him. Um, So when he was first put in jail in 1985, Doreen Leoy, she would wrote him over 75 letters while he was incarcerated. And in 1988, Richard proposed to her on October 30 or October 3rd, 1996, they were married in the San Quentin State Prison. Let's see. Um, For, sorry, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he got married. Oh, he was able to get married. That's insane. From, to a fan. Um before, yeah. So during that time, she would repeatedly repeatedly tell people that she would commit suicide when he was executed. She left him in 2009 
Um, this is weird date after in 2000 after dna confirmed he had raped and murdered nine-year-old may lung so his first murder after they confirmed it that it was him wow so then by the time in 2013 he was then again engaged to a 23 year old writer it didn't give me her name he did a couple appeals and obviously those were unsuccessful and he was on death row he psychiatrist Michael H. Stone basically described him as a made psychopath as opposed to a born psychopath. Um, Makes sense. Thanks, cousin Mike. Right. Yeah, exactly. Basically, you know, home life, all the things that he learned from his cousin, all of that. Okay. Yeah. So he died of complications of B cell lymphoma on June 7th, 2013. And he was also really sick from his chronic substance abuse and chronic hepatitis C viral infection. Hmm. So he didn't even, it wasn't, you know, he wasn't killed. Yeah. He wasn't killed by, he, he got to die of natural, natural causes. Uh, 2013. Pause.com. What's 60? Storm, you're the account. 53. <laughs> he was in his 50s. 53. And, yeah. That is the story of Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. That's oh, disgusting. I didn't know all of that. I didn't either. Good job mm-hmm. on the people. Though. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. I was like, yeah, it's like that's a lot of people and that's a lot of names. So I wanted to make sure I was giving dates because it was so crazy how, like, it was only, again, only within like a year and a half that he did all of this. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. How they caught him was literally like a movie. Yes. Yes. That's and you know, yes. I think. On one of the American Horror Stories, he's like a character. It's the eighty nineteen eighty four or whatever. Is it okay? Now that you say that, that 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 makes sense. And that's and that's crazy because they, you know, they made it like real. Mm Because there's a part in that show where he walks into a like a gas station and he sees his picture and he's like, oh poop. And then he leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think everybody kind of grabbed him. I guess I, I don't know that I knew that he, that's exactly who it was supposed to be, but yeah, they put it in that true to form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They did a really good representation of him, which was crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They normally do with the serial killers. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's just crazy that people actually wanted to like marry him or were like obsessed with him. I know. That's crazy. I'm like, you realize yeah. what he did to people. Yeah. It's like, like you what? can just because he's pretty, like yeah, like right. if you see pictures of him, I mean, I know, like I know when I listen to podcasts, I like want to go Google and listen, and, you know, see pictures mm-hmm. of what they're talking yeah. about. So you'll see the pictures, and I mean, he is, you know, a very good looking man, or he was, but yeah, but just, he's also ugh. one of those like you can see in his eyes the like evil. Yeah, like you can just yeah. tell that man is evil. Absolutely, just especially the pictures of him in court because that's mainly what you see, obviously. Mm-hmm. And he's just, yeah. he's just, 
and there was a picture too. They there was a picture of his mom, um, at one of the court hearings, and that was really really sad. I didn't see any of his other siblings or like you know his dad or anything, but his dad was part of the problem. The saddest thing yeah. is, it sounds like he just gave up when he was really young, and like mm-hmm. this is what I'm going to do now. This is like mm-hmm. just leaned into it as much as he could. He was right, kind of like a product of his environment, like you said, like the the maid serial or a psychopath. Psychopath, or yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that term either of a maid psychopath as a as opposed to a born psychopath. Hmm. Um, I'm like, I feel like they are all made right. Uh, I think it has something to do with your development. And if you're not like cared for a certain way or something Mm -hmm. and your your brain doesn't develop something, I I could be completely wrong. But I I think too, like nature versus nurture thing, like you you never really know how much of which one it is. Right. It's different for everybody too. Right. Well, and it's like a lot of that stuff for most serial killers I've heard that we've heard stories of will start when they're kids. A lot of his yeah. started when he was a kid, just he was exposed to a lot of different things, but you know, they'll hear you hear them like killing animals and mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. So there yeah, there are like some like extreme signs that do show up, but there's also signs that are like normal for kids that like it's just kind of uh you have to you have to be able to place all the pieces together correctly for it to be mm-hmm. that type of person. Mm-hmm. Because some of those things are kind of normal for kids as, as far right. as I see. So. Yeah. That's insane. What I'm saying is all kids are psychopaths. So. <laughs> <laughs> have you met Garrett? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that was. That was interesting to read. I I had to like, I was, you know, researching and reading and I was like, okay, I got to take a little break. (laughs) Get away from that for a minute. That was a lot. I did not. Yeah. And I didn't, I watched the Netflix documentary and I don't remember hearing a whole lot about the kids in that. I don't remember that either. So that was something, you know, I wasn't expecting. And at least no. mine, it was like off of a movie. Like, I mean, it yeah. happened in real life, but it was off of a movie. So I could kind of <laughs> pretend like it didn't really happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, this is true life. Yeah, this is real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So scary. Mm-hmm. Imagine there's does. still people out there like that these days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like doing shit like that. I mean, not to that extreme, but. Well, and that was the other thing. I'm like, there's got to be, you know, multiple serial killers at all time, but you never hear about them. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why is it that these, these certain ones. So I have a theory about that. Because I was thinking about that the other day. I, I think it's because of like the media coverage that they used to get in like the 80s and like the 70s and stuff. And it was just making it worse. So now yeah. they're trying to like keep them out of the like public eye and the media and everything. Like it's it, it has sense. to still be happening. It has to. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. See it but they much. they've they've learned their lesson now. Like don't put this shit out here until yeah. you know. Don't tell the mayor so the mayor tells them that they know where the shoe is. <laughs> I couldn't exactly. believe that. Like yeah. like really? Who does that? Like, come on. <laughs> but then again, like everybody's life, everything is all online these days. So it 
mm-hmm. hiding. In I mean, it's probably it's know. probably happened and been recorded. Who knows? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But also, I get confused because don't you have certain like jurisdictions with the police and detectives? Like, were these two detectives allowed to go all over California? That's a good. That question. well, yeah. That yeah, that is a good question. But he kind of st- hung out in like again, like Los Angeles and then San Francisco. So he kind of moved his time in between there. And I think they kind of like started working together at that point. Oh, okay. That's what I was gonna say. I feel like <clears throat> they would have to just contact each other. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how like, things get lost, too. You know. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, hey, he's coming to you. Okay. Yeah. He's on his way. <laughs> Heads up. <laughs> it's so weird because this morning, you know, because the past couple of days I've been like reading all of the stuff, and this morning I went to the I went to the gym and. It's like five o'clock because I have to go at that time in order to get back and get Deegan ready for school and all the things. So I'm going and I'm trying to lock the door when I leave and it won't fucking lock. Like it won't lock. And I was like, I'm not leaving this house until I know (laughs) that that my boys are okay. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God. I thought about it. I was like, do I go back inside? Like, what am I going to be able to do? I was like, do I go back inside or do I just go? But then I finally got it to lock and then I felt better. I was like, this (laughs) is, I've never, I've never felt like this before. But after reading all that, I was like, uh uh. She wasn't worried about a broken window, just that the door didn't lock. (laughs) You go back inside and sit in front of the door with a bat. Yeah. <laughs> just like sit in front of the door. <laughs> Deacon wakes up and he's like, Mommy, what are you doing? <laughs> I couldn't lock the door. I couldn't lock the door. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Well, because it's that stupid, like, you know, it's our alarm thing. So, you know, you have to put the code oh, yeah. in. Yeah. So, and usually if you just push a button, it'll lock, but I don't know what was happening. Maybe it didn't like my Halloween wreath that was hung up on the door because it kept catching. It was like, I'm not locking until you take the shit down. <laughs> take this off it. me. <laughs> it's not yeah. in October yet. I yeah, know. since we live in an HOA, we're not allowed to have Halloween decorations until October. Stop. I can't see. That's one of the things that I would not be able to do with the HOA. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. If mm. I had a house, I would keep one of those like 50 foot skeletons up all year round oh i know yours would be decorated so year round for halloween yes well sorry i keep yawning I'm, y'all aren't boring me i'm just old and it's past my bedtime <laughs> same um the house behind us never took their christmas lights down and so richard when he was he was grilling for dinner tonight and he comes in he's like I cannot believe that they never got in trouble for not taking their Christmas lights down. I mean, they don't light them, but they're still up. Oh, on but the they're there. Roof. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, he's like, I can't believe they never got in trouble for having their Christmas lights up. And I was like, Well, it's almost time for them to have them up now, so I might as well just keep them. <laughs> or counterpoint, you could just confuse everybody and put up every holiday decoration on your lawn. At there all you times. go. Yes, that's true. And I'm also (laughs) so sad because the um, Sanderson sisters all have blow up, you know, like the little things that you put in your yard. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
and they sell them at Walmart. And every time I go to Walmart, they don't have them. They have like 800 of the, um, I forget their names. The kids from Nightmare. The Trick or Treaters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Trick or Treaters. They have all three of them. They have Jack Skellington. And then they have like they have like a dragon with like a Halloween mm-hmm. necklace thing on. And I'm like, I want the Sanderson sisters. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Everybody wait. again, go watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Yes. Gosh, Coco Melon. Minions. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. of it. You're not allowed yep. to go Peppa to bed and do All the things. What'd you say? <laughs> Peppa Pig for the allies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Daddy Pig. All right. Well, thanks for listening, Storm. Where can they find more of us? We are at Three Siblings Walk Into a Bar podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and Three Siblings Walk Into a Bar on Facebook. Perfect. And we put out new podcasts every Monday. Mm -hmm. So if you like listening to us just talk to each other. We don't Come blame everybody. everybody does. We're so funny. <laughs> I know. We're hilarious. We're so funny. <laughs> Beautiful and hilarious. What else can you ask for? That's right. We're like the perfect package. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The perfect trifecta. <laughs> That's from, oh my gosh, what's that movie from? What's, What's that, that movie, movie from? from? What movie is that from? Pineapple <laughs> Express. <laughs> it's like a trifecta. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just watched This is the Fucking End. Have you seen that? Oh, I, yes. a really long it, time ago. It's on Netflix. Yes. I was just it? watching it yesterday. It was so oh fucking funny. I love them. Huh. All right. Yeah. Thanks, guys.